Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher. Here in New York City, although I have been spending quite a bit of time in nearby New Jersey, uh, and and I have some updates on that for those who are, might be interested. Um, but before I get into any of those updates, I'm going to let you guys know that I'm not alone this week. We actually have the uh, actually someone who I believe needs no introduction on this podcast since he's actually the guy who started it as well as tournament <laughs> poker edge itself we know him he's your friend killing bird himself is with us Derek tenbush how are you sir clayton i am doing uh phenomenally and i Great. hope the same for you sir yeah everything's good um as i mentioned i've been i've been in jersey uh you know of course we all celebrated my uh you know victory in the hundred dollar buy-in tournament yes. where i got first place i actually made that final table of that same tournament again five days later and this time got second place but didn't tweet about it because i only won <laughs> second place <laughs> <laughs> and i was Man. like yeah it's a letdown you know it's a, it's a letdown it just goes to my you know how messed up my thinking is like I just if I didn't win it, I, I'm not going to tell everybody about it. <laughs> the, the, the way I've been running, I would tweet every final table because there haven't been many of those recently. Oh, so. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry <laughs> to hear that. Uh, I stopped in on your stream the other night. You know, everybody knows that you are an ACR stormer and that you uh, pretty much every Tuesday, right? You do your uh, home game, as you call it. Yeah. How's that yeah. been going? It's been going really good. I've actually um, I kind of made a. A commitment. Well, two things actually are going on this month. Um, I guess I'll start with the volume part first, which is basically that I just I decided to to commit to streaming every day this month, um, even if that meant only sitting down for a couple hours and maybe playing like some blitz cash or sit and goes or jackpots or you know maybe some hyper turbos or whatever. Um, so I've managed to do pretty well with that. I've only missed one day, and it was basically just because I was feeling generally under the weather. Um, not not from any airborne viruses or anything, just from <laughs> a few too many cocktails the evening before. It's a shame uh, we have to specify that now, isn't it? It's like anytime anyone's even a little bit sick, it's like, don't worry, I don't have the deadly disease that's going around. It's just I drank too much last night. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I go to the, like I go to the grocery store with my wife or something, and I and I like cough a little, and she just looks at me like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? You Everyone's looking at us." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> I couldn't hold it in. <laughs> so that's been part of it. So it's been cool, you know. Like I just wanted to try to get some a little more volume in, and sort of take advantage of, I guess, the last. Uh, well, geez, hopefully the end of this whole lockdown quarantine thing but I, it doesn't seem like that's really the case after all um but the other thing that i decided to do is i got invited by a few of uh other acr stormers and and twitch streamers to participate in a bankroll challenge 
Um, which we did a little differently. A lot of times people will do a bankroll challenge where they say like, okay, I'm going to start with $10 and try to run it up to a thousand, or I'm going to start with zero and just play free rolls and try to get my bankroll to a thousand or whatever. We did it a little bit differently in, in, in that we all just started with a thousand dollars and we kind of had to force ourselves to practice good bankroll management and see how high we could spin up that bankroll and whoever has the highest bankroll at the end of the month wins. So I kind of have these two like sort of simultaneous like goals slash challenges going on that are kind of keeping me motivated to play and stuff. Unfortunately, we haven't really run very well. We haven't run bad. In fact, we started with a thousand dollars. I think my bankroll is now at like nine eighty nine or something like that. Okay, so yeah. It's kind of like I swung up, I took an early lead, and then I just have slowly sort of you know min cash here, min cash there, kind of tapering my way back down to break even. So. I'm reaching the point of the challenge where I have to make a decision, like, do I start taking bigger shots and kind of, you know, fading away from my early bankroll strategy? Because early on in the challenge, it was I'm going to play, you know, super conservative buy-in levels, try to play smaller fields, mix in some sit and goes and stuff to try to minimize variance. But it's kind of getting to that point now where I have to, like, start to re-strategize and, and maybe take some shots. So the next two weeks are going to be interesting in that regard. Now, is there anything to stop you from just kind of going all in with this bankroll challenge? Like, did you guys set, like, any sort of parameters for the challenge? Or is it just, you know, let's no. see if we can practice good bankroll management? Because to me, the thing is, if I'm trying to win a contest, I might actually practice the opposite of bankroll <laughs> management. Because <laughs> right. you know, if I can run up to 20000 by playing a tournament I shouldn't be playing with a $1,000 bankroll, then... Uh, yeah. yeah, sometimes that, that sort of thing can reward bad behavior. Is it more just on the honor system or, or what? Yeah, or yeah, it was more on the honor system. The idea, like the idea definitely got passed around like, oh, well, maybe I should just fire 10 109s and hope to bink one for like 5K <laughs> and I'll win this thing, you know? Um, but I think everybody kind of, definitely some people were more aggressive than me. I was probably, the, in fact, I might have been the most conservative because I felt like I could just win with volume. Um, but that hasn't, obviously hasn't completely worked out, but there are other people who have, you know, who are down in like five, $600 range bankroll wise. So I am ahead of some people. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. 989 is not in last place. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think, and that's why I would say I need to rethink the strategy. Cause it's like, do I, do I continue to pretend as though this is my be all end all bankroll? Even like, even say it's the last day and I have $900. Like, I should probably just play $900 in buy-ins and go for it if I'm behind, right? Right. Um, but that's not good bankroll management. So I'll probably just – I'll probably do that, honestly, even if, even though it does kind of – I won't say it goes away from the spirit of the challenge because the challenge was a month long. I mean, so, you know, we're working within that parameter. Um, so in a way, I'm just kind of pretending my poker career ends on June 31st, and I don't need a bankroll after that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Well, that'll, that'll be interesting to follow along with that. Um, yeah, I wanted to t uh, get your thoughts on the uh, – I don't know if you saw what happened in, in court today. As we record this on Thursday, June 18th, today there was a huge he hearing in the appeals court. It was the U.S. Circuit – the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals – and they basically uh, had an appeal of the decision that was made, I guess, a year and a half ago about the Wire Act. Did, were you following that? Did you did you see that? Yeah, I was not. Um, but it, I'm definitely going to do some reading up on it after we're done recording because I definitely want to see kind of if I can decipher what any of it means because I probably won't be able to, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I'm um, certainly not an expert myself, but, you know, just – because I follow Kev Math, who tweets everything and anything. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, at Kev Math, absolutely essential follow for any poker player. 
uh, he tweeted that this important thing was going on today. I know that no actual decision was was uh, was made today, but arguments were were made, and it was basically it has to do with DraftKings wanting to operate in New Hampshire, and then somebody said they can't, and somebody else said they can because it's a question of whether the 2018 interpretation of the Wire Act that goes all the way back to the, I think the 1960s. Uh, and that interpretation ex- uh, did not exclude state lotteries. So it's you know it's all this legal mumbo jumbo, but obviously it has a lot of ramifications for poker, particularly poker among states. So right. like right now, what WSOP.com does, there's legal poker you can play in New Jersey or in Nevada. I think even in Delaware. Uh, and they're trying to add more states to that. So a lot of people are really watching, you know, what happens in this uh, in this decision. But yeah, I mean, you can read up on it. Um, OnlinePokerReport.com did a, a full um, whatever uh, article about it, where they kind of were updating live, kind of live tweeting basically what was going on. Uh, and I was trying to follow it, but you know, just not being a lawyer myself and not really understanding all these things. I don't understand this any better than I understand, <laughs> uh, you know, Mike Postle walking scot-free for what he did. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, but I I do think it's gonna. I think a lot of things in that area are gonna come to a head over the next few years. You know, we were talking earlier about before the podcast about sort of how states might try to ram through a bunch of tax generating <laughs> ideas like. You know, everything from legalizing marijuana to sports betting to possibly poker. So I think it's going to get tested in a lot of places. Uh, And it's just going to be interesting to see what that means for, like you said, state to state poker. Um, But who knows, maybe even something on the federal level. Yeah. Um, But but it's one of those things, too, where, you know, I've been I mean, if you had told me on Black Friday that it would be nine years later and we still wouldn't have poker, I I would have bet against you quite handily. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm starting to lose hope, <laughs> but maintaining as much as I can. Yeah, no, back then I remember a lot of us thought it would be like maybe by the end of the year they would get it worked out and, you know, let let us get back on Poker Stars or whatever. No. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. laughs> it, it just got ugly. And, you know, we now know that a lot of that had to do with certain casino owners being against the idea of online poker, feeling like it was impacting their bottom lines. And, you know, who knows? I, I mean, I believe that the current president was opposed to online poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly uh, Sheldon Adelson, who owns uh, the Venetian in Las Vegas and other properties, uh, you know, being against it. So that that's kind of how politics works in our country. I know this isn't really a political podcast or whatever, but... You know, as it as it relates to online poker, it's there's a lot of power when you are a billionaire who owns a casino and, yeah. uh, you know, they kind of got what they wanted back then. And only now are these things being looked at again. So we'll see. I mean, like you, I'm very uh, reserved as far as how much hope I will have as, you know, that things will ever go back to the way they used to be. Uh, for now, I'm just grateful that I live close enough to New Jersey uh, to participate in events. Like I've been playing the the finale, they called it, the online circuit finale. I played in every major 
tournament that they had. There were five on on the five days that I spent in New Jersey. Um, I cashed in three out of the five, um, nice. which is pretty awesome. But I didn't really have any big scores, just kind of enough to to stay afloat. The biggest score that I had was actually that second place in that hundred dollar tournament that happens every day. But uh, I don't know. I just seem to like that's my that's my game. That one right there. Yeah. yeah, the first cash was for like forty eight hundred, and the second one was for like thirty two for second place. So I definitely saw a spike in the number of players in all the tournaments during that series, and I think there's going to be another spike, obviously beginning July first with the online World Series of Poker. So when they first announced, I think it was in late April, early May, they announced, "Okay, guys, we tried everything. We're not going to be able to have." the World Series this year, we're going to beef up the online a bit and try to do the real thing in the fall. It looks to me like they said, you know what, fall's not going to happen. Let's just do it all online. And they're, they're, I think it's 85 bracelets between two yeah. different websites. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Derek? So I have, I have like a million thoughts about it, but I'll try to break it down <laughs> to just a few um and you know obviously on poker twitter and stuff people are debating if you know they should be giving out bracelets for online events and things like that i maybe i'm getting old i don't know but i just i just kind of feel like they could have just taken a year off from bracelets you know do a big online series that's cool but i worry about a lot of things like you know i don't remember who it was but somebody tweeted out like a poll you know how many accounts are you going to have to try to win a bracelet this summer. And, you know, the answers were like four, three, five. And, and it was, I think it was kind of a joke. Yeah. But I don't think it's totally, you know, I don't think everybody took it as a joke. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I worry about these kind of things, you know, like, you know, uh, online crusher so-and-so, I'm not going to name any names, but online crusher so-and-so's wife won a bracelet this year. Wow, that's really impressive. You know? <laughs> and then online poker pros uncle won one, you know. I, like we're going to see at least one of those happen, you know? Right. Uh, and it's just a matter of who it's going to be. And it's just going to be like, really? <laughs> You're just going to give out bracelets for this stuff? At the same time, you know, I get it. I mean, the WSOP is the greatest poker tournament in the history of the world and probably always will be. Um, and to not have it would be an incredible shame. So, you know, it's kind of cool uh, from a, you know, from an online grinders standpoint, um, I just, I, I think it, like, I think if you just like made me make a decision, like put a gun to my head and said, you have to choose no bracelets or bracelets, I would just be like no bracelets. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, it's this little, it's not like I'm strongly against it either. I'm not like, this is the stupidest idea ever, but I just had this little un, like un, unease about it. Like this little bit of uncomfortableness in the back of my brain about it. Interesting. And it sounds like most of that discomfort is coming from you not being convinced that people will respect the idea of one player per hand and even one player per household. But it seems to me like if I, this happened actually in New Jersey, I wanted to go for a walk and I was down to just one tournament playing. So I had been playing on my laptop. I decided I was going to switch to my, my cell phone. And as soon as I logged in on my cell phone, the uh, laptop automatically logged off. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, I could try to create more than one account, but each account, you because it's all regulated so heavily, 
you have to share your uh, your passport or your you know your ID of some kind. You have to have a bank account associated with your with your username. Like I don't think what you're suggesting. I'm not naive enough to think it won't happen, but I don't think it's going to be easy for players to have four or five accounts going at once. I don't think that two yeah. accounts can log in from the same IP address. And you know, in New Jersey at least, they are being very strict about that. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. I honestly think the mo- the more common issue, uh, which you you hinted at there, would be ghosting. I think that'll actually be the most common thing to happen. Yeah. You know, somebody will get down to the final table, and then they'll get on, you know, a call with their their three awesome GTO poker buddies. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and and talk through spots and stuff. And and I'm not trying to like, you know, don't it's you know, I don't think it's going to be half the field or maybe even probably not even five percent of the field, but it's going right. to be some percentage of the field. Yeah. And it just feels the other issue, too. You know, I played on when I lived in Vegas, I played on WSOP.com. The percentage of sessions that I played where I would lose my geolocation and then it would tell me I wasn't in Las Vegas <laughs> and I couldn't play anymore. And. Like that, it got so frustrating that I literally stopped playing on there. I I would only play on America's Card Room, and I think at that time I played on Ignition too, um, because it was just too frustrating. Like, and then I'd spend you know two hours on with support trying to like I'm here, I, I'm I'm Twitch streaming from my house in Vegas right now. You can see me. Yeah. Um, and you know I, I can't imagine the frustration of being three-handed for a bracelet or heads I up know. for a bracelet. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like you are no longer in New Jersey. Yeah. Good luck, Mr. Fletcher. <laughs> yeah. No, that's brutal. Uh. That is that is a uh, a a still uh, still a major problem, okay. But I feel like they've done they've done some things to try to uh, improve that. They have something now called Geo Comply, which mm. is like a kind of a plugin that goes along with your with your app or whatever that that helps the website know that you actually are where you say you are. I mean, I feel like they're really cracking down because uh, a huge part of what allowed them to legalize it was the government saying, okay, but no one can be outside of New Jersey or right. Nevada. So they're, if anything, they're just kind of going overboard with being overprotective to make sure that people are where they say they are. Like when I'm in Jersey City, sometimes it can't confirm that I'm not in New York City because they're so close right. together. So I've run into that yeah. once or twice. But, yeah, I remember in the earlier days, you know, you know two or three years ago, WSOP.com, you just get kicked <laughs> off every 10 minutes. Like, you're not in Nevada. I'm like, I'm at the Venetian right now, for God's sake. Yeah. And, it's, it, and I, you know, I'll just stress what I said earlier. I'm definitely not in the strongly opposed category. I'm, right, I'm, right. Way, I'm way down in the mildly opposed category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, and, and look, I'll be sweating it. Like, I, I you know, I, I, it sounds like they're going to do a bunch of live broadcasts and stuff on, I'm, I'm assuming, Poker Go and places like that. I'll be watching them all. I, I think it'll be a blast. Absolutely. I mean, as, as a poker fan, I'm very excited. But you're not going to be playing. Well, you know, I don't know. Um, so I, <laughs> it, July is like, usually I'm in Vegas, you know, June and July, or at of least course. a good portion of it. Yeah. Um, but then this year came around and it's like, Obviously, the World Series got canceled, and I was like, "Oh, well, this is great. I can spend my first birthday at home in a decade." My my birthday is July fourth, um, and then my high school reunion is at the end of July, like the twenty fourth, I think it is. Um, but I honestly don't know if that's happening or not, just because of you know the whole COVID thing. Sure. So it, it turned into basically like the busiest month. Um, 
you know, because I basically just cleared my schedule. I was like, oh, I guess I'm home. I can do, you know, I can set up all these different things. So I'm debating going because I can drive to New Jersey in about seven, eight hours. So, you know, I could pack up my computer and just go get a hotel room somewhere and fire it up or an Airbnb or whatever. So I'm debating going in the middle of July. I think the first event that I looked at was the Monster Stack. You always love the Monster Stack. <laughs> that is <Yeah>. your favorite. <laughs> in, in this case, it just happens to fall in the right, right. place because it's, it's like three days after my birthday. I yeah. actually look, it's four days after my birthday. Oh, there's a six max the day before that. Okay. Never mind. Um, but it's during that phase, like the eighth through like the 13th or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I could jump in the car because, you know, the thing is, is I had, I had already kind of like grinded out the year and, and, created a little WSOP bankroll for myself that I was going to bring to Vegas and use for events. So I, you know, I have, I have the buy-ins sitting there waiting to be used for something. Um, so I think what I'm going to end up doing is probably sit out the first few events, enjoy my birthday with my family, take a day or two after the birthday. And if I just feel like going, I'm just going to jump in the car and go, you know, I, I don't have to book flights. I don't you know. There's nothing complicated about it. I just get in the car and drive for seven hours and I'm there. So just a little road trip. That's it. Yeah. I actually almost hit up all the guys that I usually stay with in Vegas. Um, a couple of them are from the Philly area and stuff. And I was like, you know, do you guys want to go get a house in Jersey and play this series? And then I was like, oh, wait, we're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> like people coming from all different parts of the country and, and living together in a house seems like a bad idea. So I think I would probably just go and stay by myself. Well, I think you might have to because I, I'm not sure that you would be able to have two uh, oh, yeah, different – logins in on the same ip address i mean maybe there's a workaround like with a hotspot or whatever but i don't really know I'm, yeah. I'm really talking over my own head here i'm like the technical uh I, i'm such a novice actually my new computer my new laptop arrived today i promised oh, nice. all of our listeners that uh after i binked that little hundred dollar buy-in tournament uh a couple weeks ago that i would get a laptop that will hopefully be capable of handling uh Clayton comic on Twitch. So uh, I'm going to start, you know, twitching a little bit. But I, I just got the computer and I'm having trouble. Like already I'm having trouble just like setting it up. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so it, it could be months before I'm actually able to stream anything. <laughs> but... Yeah, my, my uh, wife and son bought me a new iPad for Father's Day and they gave it to me today because uh, it just came in the mail today. That's nice. And, um, and yeah, I spent about four hours trying to get that thing set up. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, isn't Apple supposed to be user friendly? Like, what is going on? Yeah, that I is. I finally the, got it done though. Yeah, well, that's good. Oh, congratulations and happy Father's Day a little early. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. You. So, uh, all right. Well, I guess it'll be to be continued. Now, if you decide to go to New Jersey and play in some of these events, would that be something that you would also stream on Twitch, or would that be? Uh, yeah, like, that's. That's a good question. I've streamed WSOP events before, like the online events they do in Vegas. Yeah. Um, but I think what I would do for these, I would probably stream the early stages. And then if I were to get deep, like say in the money, I'd probably shut off the stream. A, so I could focus and B, so that nobody can, you know, be watching my stream. Not that they can snipe me because I'd have it on a long delay, but they can still get reads and stuff. I mean, the people... The, there's gonna to be too many good players in these, I think, to to give up any edge. So yeah. I'd rather just I'd rather just shut it down. Well, if the online circuit finale or whatever they call the thing that I just played uh, is any indication, 
there were some tables that were just hellish. I mean, one day I was sitting with Michael Martyr, Jamie Kerstetter, Jeff Gross. <laughs> I mean, and just the list goes on, and it was just br- brutal. Ended up having uh, a lot of hands with Jesse Silvio, one of which I mentioned uh, last week on the podcast here. Um, but then, like on the very same night in the very same tournament, you would just be like, I can't believe all of these people had $300 to play this thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess part of the question is, and I don't know this, like, it'll be interesting. Have they already started satellites for these things? Because, I, I mean, if there's a lot of satellites running and, and people getting in via satellites, or, I mean, it's not like these events are that expensive. I they're mean, they're not. $400 and $500 events. So you're definitely going to have a mix for sure. But I think once you get deep, it's going to certainly sway towards being better players, which, you know, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it appears that the the highest buy-in what they're calling the high roller is only thirty two hundred dollars now i say only not because i don't think that's a lot of money of course that's a lot of money but for a bracelet you know high rollers in in vegas would be a hundred thousand dollars right so yeah Yeah, when they they first announced this i was like oh i gotta look at the schedule because in my head i'm wondering are they all going to be like the same buy-ins as the live events or are they going to be smaller and i think they did a good job of balancing it you know there's not there's no like 100 hundred dollar buy-ins or anything like that i mean i guess the smallest is 400 400 right and i think i think that's pretty fair i mean you know you got you have events like that in vegas you know during the summer like the giant and the the Colossus and things like that. So I think starting it around there is pretty good. Yeah. And I don't think they could have really done a 10 K main event. Um, so, cause as much as people have the dream of playing the main event and they're willing to shell out 10 K for it, a huge percentage of the field is not willing to do it for an online 10 K. Right. Yeah. So. It's not just the concerns that you mentioned. It's also just the entertainment value. You know, I can tell you I've, I've always considered myself a live player first and, uh, you know, now now that I've been spending so much of the last three or four weeks playing online poker, it's like, I'm definitely a live player first. I mean, this is nowhere near as much fun. It's not even close. I like it, especially when I'm at a final table and, you know, yeah. I'm playing for all the money and everything. There is an excitement level and it's not it's not unenjoyable for me, but I would much rather play live poker than to. And I think that a lot of the people that are more recreational and they, they buy into the $10,000 main event in Vegas because they want that experience. And I just think that staring at a screen for 10 hours is not the same experience as being at the Rio sitting across from Daniel Negreanu, whatever, you know, like, right. Even if you know that that pro is on the other side of the, uh, you know, of the world playing against you or something, it's, it's not the same as being at the table. So, yeah. um, I think they did a good job of setting up the schedule. I tend to agree with you about the bracelets. I mean, maybe they could do something else for these. Like, you know, we're going to have a a world series of poker online event and everybody wins a watch, a nice Mm -hmm. watch, you know, I don't know, a Rolex or something like that. Some kind of like prestigious watch with the WSRP logo to distinguish this from Hey, I'm a bracelet winner because you shouldn't be a bracelet winner if all you had to do is beat people in New Jersey and Nevada. Right, <laughs> like, right. Winning bracelets means beating those people and the people from Lithuania and Slovenia and everywhere else where they come from all over the world to play with us. Yeah. So it's and, not um, really the same. And I guess in this case, they probably literally can't because I don't think 
I mean, we're not really letting any people in from any other countries right now, right? So. Well, I don't think that they can. And uh, they're having a separate series on GG Poker, uh, which is a, more of a global series. I think that starts in August or something. So there's a separate thing that's going to happen after this um, yeah. that I don't know if by then we'll be allowed to travel. Like, I don't know what the travel restrictions are going to be. But I heard somewhere that you can't expect to go to Canada and play in that because Canada is not welcoming Americans at the moment. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I just I think I just saw they extended like the the border closing until July 31st. But I think right. yeah, that's about when that series starts, and I don't think anybody expects it to actually open then. I think it's just kind of like oh, let's just extend it another month and then we'll wait. Yeah, time will so. tell. But I guess a part of me just feels happy that there's something going on in july because you know yeah. it's just been there's no baseball and i love baseball i you know the thing i look forward to the, the most every single year is the world series of poker being there with everybody and just being a part of it uh and, and that's that's not happening this year so at least there's something and like you said i had money set aside too <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean like i said as a fan i will definitely be following along even if i don't go play but i don't know i have a sneaking suspicion at the very least i'll end up playing a, you know two three four events yeah i wouldn't bet against that at all so all right well it sounds like you've been playing a lot do you have a hand you want to run by me i do all right so let's uh let's get into this our strategy so, segment by the way is sponsored by TournamentPokerEdge.com. <laughs> Those guys. Yeah, I mean, they have always been a, a, a big supporter of this podcast and a great sponsor of everything <laughs> that we do. Um, before you do the hand, though, tell us what's happening with the website. Is there any any exciting news at TPE? Well, uh, yes. The, I would say the most exciting thing is that there's a new Andrew Broker series up because I know you and I are both huge fans of his video series. Yeah, he's the man. Um, and I think this will be interesting to not only our uh, international customers, but maybe particularly to our U.S. customers, because, um, you know, Andrew typically, I think, plays mostly live these days. But I guess like all of us, he's been kind of forced into, you know, compromising a little bit. And he's been playing on a ACR a little bit, actually. So he uh, is doing a review of a $50 final table uh, that he made on ACR. Um, so there's three parts of that up right now. I believe it's a five-part series in total. So for people who are trying to figure out, you know, if when I make it to a final table of an ACR tournament, how do I win? That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I can't wait to check that out myself. Yeah, and then something we get asked about a lot, you know, people email us or hit us up on Twitter or whatever, and they're like, hey, do you guys have sit-and-go videos? And the truth is we don't have a ton of them, but we do have, I mean, one of the best sit-and-go scholars, for lack of a better word, Colin Moshman. Uh, who, of course, wrote the book, literally, on sit-and-goes. Um, and he occasionally does sit-and-go videos for us. So he has a new series running, um, which is a live sit-and-go series. Uh, part one of that just went up this week. So for people who are grinding the sit-and-go scene, that's for you. And you can wish Colin a happy Father's Day, too. Ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> recently became a dad himself. All right, so why don't we... I'm assuming that the hand you're going to talk about is from a 50 cent tournament on your bankroll challenge <laughs> on ACR. Not quite that small, but it is pretty small. Okay. Um, this was the 662K guaranteed. Okay. So, you know, low to mid stakes, I guess. Uh, but that's what we'd, we'd be grinding right now. So That's cool. Um, I've actually played this tournament a few times myself. Um, 
they run it every day. Uh, I, I think yeah. it has a short late reg period, which is one reason I like to play it. I yeah, like, I think I think this might be the one with two hours only of late reg. Which that is sounds kind of right. Nice. Yeah, I don't like the five six hour registration. I think it's enough's enough, you know. Yeah, I I like it sometimes, but then when I only, you know I, I guess this goes without saying, but when I only have five six hours to play, it's just not really great for me. So yeah, you're just stuck there. Or you can buy in late, and then you're really gambling because you start with, like, six big blinds. Right. <laughs> so exactly. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's hear it. Let's go. All right. So um, we are nine-handed at this table. We are starting with 44 big blinds. The big blinds are – or the sorry, the blinds are 25 – or sorry, 250 and 500. Uh, and like we have 21.5K. So 44 big blinds. And we are sitting in the big blind with Jack Nine offsuit. Okay, now this is pretty early in the tournament. That's a low level for that tournament. Yeah, relatively early. Uh, Nowhere near the like, money. No, probably like 10, 12 levels. Maybe even maybe even less than that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but it's relatively a, early. Yeah, early is probably still registration is still open. I would think yep. at that point. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right, so it folds around to the cutoff, who has 40 big lines, so a similar stack to us. Um, he's running 30-22, for what it's worth, so pretty active, I would say. Uh, he min-raises to 1,000. Now, forgive my ignorance. As you know, a few weeks ago, I spoke with Jason Smith, trying to figure out what all these numbers mean and, and working with my HUD, because I never really played much around with uh, hold a manager or poker tracker 30 is the v pip 20 yep. is the pre-flop raise and then what is that two number you said oh 20 uh, 22 his pre-flop raise is 22 percent. Oh, okay so these are just the two numbers yep exactly okay yeah yeah his three bet is seven percent for what it's worth but oh okay yeah because we did talk about three bet percentage being really important as well okay so yeah. it's 30 30 v pip 20 pre-flop raise and seven uh, three bet. Okay, got it. Yeah, it's also worth noting, I guess, that the cutoff is actually his most active spot. Um, he's running forty three thirty seven from the cutoff, which is just slightly higher than his button open, which is you know kind of unusual. Like you'd almost always expect the button to be the highest opening percentage, but um, so he you know from this position in particular, he's super active. Um, so he raises to a thousand folds to us in the big blind and we have jack nine offsuit thoughts okay well i mean right off the bat um we're not folding uh so we can cross that one off the list and i don't really like putting this hand in my three betting range especially with this stack size uh i do three bet pretty heavily as a blind defense especially if i feel like my opponent is uh, as you say very active from his cutoff position so uh, you know, you probably could get a lot of three bets through, but you know, just in the interest of balance, I don't see any reason to three bet with this hand. Like this hand is kind of a medium strength hand, and my three betting from the big blind tends to be polarized. So sure. if I re-raise after somebody opened from the cutoff, I'm going to have something really good like aces or kings, or something really bad like ten deuce. You know, I I think hands like these we can just go ahead and call. Uh, I agree with you completely. I might three bet Jack Nine suited here, 
sometimes, but even that I'd probably defend most of the time. But I think Jack Nine Off is definitely just a defend. Yeah, so why would you put uh, Jack Nine suited? Just curious, why would you sometimes three bet with that hand as well? Um, I think because we're, I, at least in my mind, uh, the fact that we're going to be out of position, I'd rather just have the ability to flop more equity because I'm pretty much going to have to lead almost every flop. Um, and even just the ability to have like a backdoor draw where we're just not going to flop too many draws with the Jack Nine offsuit, you know? Um, so I'd rather just, be, I, it just seems like like playability out of position is just going to be a little bit easier with suited, I think. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you will flop some straight draws, some gut shots, stuff like that. But yeah, obviously having that extra, you know, little bit more chance of flopping a draw because you're suited. As you say, even if it's just a backdoor draw, it gives you a little something to hang your hat on when you fire that C-bet, which I agree. If you're going to 3-bet, you should usually you know, lead almost every flop. It's hard yeah. to think of a flop that you shouldn't lead where where his range... Because when you take the lead in the hand by 3-betting and you don't get 4-bet, you're pretty much now expected to have the stronger range right? overall. So that makes sense. All right, but here we just call, correct? Correct. All right. Um, so there is twenty-seven ninety in the pot now, and the flop comes king, queen, ten, two spades. So okay. we flop the low end of the straight. <laughs> That's a phenomenal <laughs> flop for Jack Nine. It's pretty sexy. It's pretty yeah. sexy. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's one of these weird spots now in this hand where we just talked about the fact that you know if we had three bet here we're going to be betting a bunch. But but the fact that we just flatted, I kind of want to lead just because I think he's going to continue with a ton of hands and he's not going to believe our lead much. Um, but also, like, our flat pre is so weak and he's so aggressive, his stats are so aggressive, that I think – oh, by the way, his C-bet percentage is 74%. So he's oh. C-betting you know, almost 75% of the time. And I think that number in particular makes this, like, a pretty easy check. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I respect the idea of, like – wanting to be deceptive and, you know, betting basically the nuts here, um, and, you know, leading out with it. I, I understand, like, the impulse to do that, and I love that you would do that with such a good hand some of the time. But I feel like because we didn't take the lead preflop, um, this is a spot where I think you just check, especially against this opponent that's going to bet. And I think the plan should be to check raise because this board will hit him pretty hard too. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's not going to fold a lot of those hands. Like anything with a jack. Now, I know we have a jack, so it's not as likely that he does too. But he could, of course, have king jack, queen jack. Hopefully not ace jack or we're in trouble, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but also he could have king queen, king ten, queen ten. Like these are hands that are not just going to fold because we check raise. Even if he has something like ace queen where he's got mm-hmm. second pair with a gut shot. Right, he's probably not going to fold to your check raise. So yeah, I, feel I like agree. It's a good spot for a check raise. Yeah, I think basically everything Broadway he's going to continue against a check raise on. So like Ace Ten, Ace Queen, Ace King, King yeah. Queen, King Ten, Queen Ten, <laughs> all everything. You know, right. Jack. So I yeah, I glad you say that because I love it, and that's exactly what we do. He uh, does see bet thirteen ninety five. And we raise to 2790, which is just a little over a min raise, it looks like. Okay, so he put um, in basically half the pot, and then you just 
kind of clicked it, clicked it yeah. back with a little change. Yeah. All right. I kind of, part of me kind of wishes I'd gone bigger here. Cause if he has like four or five suited or six, eight suit, anything other than what all those hands we just talked about, Broadway cards, he's just going to fold here even to the click. But, it, but if he has all those Broadway cards or sets or whatever, or maybe like ace five of spades, cause there's two spades on the board, like he's going to continue with all those. So I think I'd rather go to like 32 or 35 or something here yeah i mean our um, hand is so strong that we should really be thinking about but uh, when you have when you flop a really strong hand i i tend to think about being optimistic like i want my opponent to also have a really strong hand like you said he's going to see bet everything and then he will fold a lot of that range if he's see betting 75 percent, right he's <laughs> going to fold a lot of that range to our check raise because like you say it's going to be eight high or even like a pair of fours. Like he's not going to go broke with a pair of fours mm-hmm. on this board. So forget those hands. Like we don't have much chance of making more money from those hands no matter what we do. But when he has a very strong hand or even a relatively strong hand like that ace queen I mentioned before, I think we got to try to get four bets in mm-hmm. to get these whole, what do you have, 40 big blinds in. right? Yeah. So that's the way we should be thinking. So I do agree that this is a bit of a sizing mistake. Um, the the hands that you're going to keep in, I can't really think of too many hands that are going to stay in for this amount that would have folded to a three X. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're on the same page there for sure. Yeah. All right, but that's what we do. Yeah, and so he does not fold. He goes ahead and calls. Okay. And so now there's eighty three seventy in the middle, and the turn is the Ace of Hearts. So now it is Ace Ten of Hearts, King Queen of Spades. <laughs> Uh, so we still have the nut straight. Yeah, but the bad um, news is there are some scenarios where we're getting free rolled now, like when he yeah. has a hand like queen jack of spades or whatever. Um, you know, whatever. If he also has the straight, but he also has a flush draw with it, that's. I mean, that happens a lot more in Omaha, but because there are two possible flush draws out there now, this is one of my least favorite turn cards to see. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we also have the the fact that now if he had King 10 or Queen 10, like we're just going to not really be able to get stacks in against those hands now, yeah. most likely. Um, so, you know, it, it either, you know, it, like you said, it either means we're getting free rolled or it just killed our action. Yeah, it's uh, a terrible I mean, card. Yeah. I mean, not always because, you know, maybe he has something like King Queen of Hearts. <laughs> now he gets it in, although... I don't know if I'd want to be up against that right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's definitely, you know, one of my least favorite cards for sure. Um, so with that in mind, what do you what are you thinking you want to do here? Because, I mean, we're still going to have the best hand. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. or, or at least or at least chopping. So I guess the question is now, are we trying to get him to fold some of those draws? Do we want to, you know, or are we just going to basically size this to basically price him in the call with those draws and just hope he doesn't hit him. Yeah, I mean, we, we have the nuts, so we can't, we're not beat at the moment, right? Right, yeah. But the problem is, you know, getting all in right now probably means that we're chopping, and it could be a lot worse. Like, we're right. chopping, but he's got a shot at scooping, and we don't. Um, but that doesn't really change the way I play the hand, I don't think. I mean, we still have to get it in. When you're good, you got to get it in because he might also yeah. be Yeah, willing. I mean, for, for sure, I'm definitely never folding here. 
Yeah, but what's the plan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, right. Yeah. Like you know, because maybe the better way to get you know maybe we, we we make this look like a real like a real scary card to us, and then we check jam, or you know maybe he bets like five k, and we have eighteen k behind, and we get his jam in his face, and if if he calls and we chop, then so be it. Yeah. So well, yeah. So because we're not really going to do much about it when he has a jack. Let's talk about the scenarios where he doesn't have a jack. Like a moment ago, you suggested he could have something like King Queen of Hearts. You know, we have a we have a, a big pot equity advantage against King Queen of Hearts right now. Mm-hmm. So King Queen of Hearts has how many outs? Thirteen, uh, I think. Yeah, that seems right. We do have the Jack of Hearts, so that removes some of it. Okay, so so there's only twelve outs with one card to come. So if we can get that hand to go all in against us right now with its two pair and a flush draw, or obviously a set, like if he has pocket aces, pocket kings, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. If those hands are willing to go broke while we have the nuts, that's a good thing for us, and we should be very happy to make that happen. And I think that maybe check jamming is uh, one way to do that. Yeah. The only problem is when he really only sucks is when he has a straight with the flush draw. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is certainly possible here. Um, although he might have got that. Some of those he might have got in on the flop. You know, it, it, like, so for example, um, I don't know, ace, ten of spades or something. He might have got those in on the flop. But, I mean, I, I still think it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I kind of think there's two options here. I, I, I think you can either check probably jam depending on his sizing um or i think we just have to bet really small in hopes of inducing like you know if we he, there's 8300 in the pot if we bet like 2200 or something that ah, might be too small but enough that it makes it look like we're just trying to pot control because we don't like that card um like a block like it looks like we're blocker betting i think that might work as well to get him to raise but i think i prefer a check raise yeah, the problem with the small bet is we want him to see it as a blocker bet, but he might just be so afraid. All we need is a jack, and if he doesn't yeah. have one, he's probably not going to be interested in raising. But if we check, he might say, you know what, I have a set, or I have two pair, or I have two pair with a flush draw, so let's go. Yeah, you know? yeah, I and like then, that better. Yeah, I, th- I think check shoving or you know, at least check raising pretty heavy is the way to go because that's really our best chance of getting him to put in a lot of chips right now when we're sure we have the advantage. Yeah. Plus one of the best things in poker is getting the check raised two streets in a row. I mean, it's just, (laughs) it's just, it's the best, not quite as good as three streets, but if we're going to get three streets of check raises in, then we got to check raise now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The trifecta. It's very rare. Extremely rare. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so we do check, um, and this is where I think I make a mistake. Uh, he bets thirty four thirty five, and we just call. Yeah, that is, I does that and does I don't, feel like a mistake. I don't like this yeah. at all. Like yeah. I, I think we were right that. Oh, well, I think I was right that check raise or or betting were the best options. But I don't think check calling is a good option at all. Yeah, because the problem is what we do on the river. Uh, well, one problem is on the river, our opponent will know exactly what he has. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a pretty binary decision. Like he can call, like if we check call here, he's only going to bet the river when he has a straight. Yep. And he'll also bet the river when he has a flush. Yeah, and it can. 
I mean, I guess the board could even get scarier for him if there's such a thing. Yeah. You know, to where he's just like, well, I guess it kind of goes back to what you said. Like, then he just knows what he had. Like, if, I don't know, if it comes off like the nine of spades or something and he had the heart draw, he's just going to probably give up. I mean, maybe he'll shove it in our face, but probably not. Yeah, it's unlikely. And then, so your options on the river, having checked and called on 4th Street, now you have to lead out on the river. But your opponent yeah. will play perfectly against that lead. Right. And that's why I think not check jamming there was a pretty big mistake. Um, but I think if we played it that way, now I think we – well, let's get to the river, I guess. Okay. There's 15.2K in the middle, and the river is the queen of clubs. And how much in the stacks? Uh, I have 14.8. He has 12.6. Okay, so he's got less than a pot size bet, and his stack is the effective stack. And now the queen pairs. Yep. So now we got 10 king, queen, ace, queen. Yeah. Two spades, two hearts. So the flushes miss. So I guess what I was going to say, but I had to, I had to divulge the river first, is it, if we're going to play our hand the way we played it on the turn, then now I think we just have to check again. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, this is one of the – it's oddly a good card for us because our opponent could – decide to use that card as a scare card or you know it just gives him more options now that the board has paired and it also gives us the option of being beat which sucks but you know all in all i think given the way we play the turn i want to see the board pair if i have to call the turn i want the board to pair on the river because now i can check and he might feel more empowered to bluff right yeah like it can look like all our flush draws missed or you know whatever so um so i you know as as unhappy as I am with the way I played the turn, I'm pretty happy that I opted to check the river here. Yeah, that's correct. Do. Yeah, um, and he shoves. Yeah, well, I mean we have to call. It's like yeah. if you're beat, you're beat, and, yeah. and you will the be beat. The way we played it, like, yeah, yeah. And I, I just think the way we we the way we played it kind of dictates what we have to do in this decision point. I mean, it, it's a, I mean, it kind of sucks because we're also just going to chop a lot. It's kind of like we're still getting free rolled. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, he could just have the jack or he could have a full house. So um, so we do indeed find the call button and he shows us the 910 offsuit for just bottom pair uh, and we take it down. Yeah. So even though we uh, we kind of have determined that we're not uh, we're not happy with your play on the turn, that play actually empowered your that play combined with the queen pairing the board on the river empowered him to say well you know and maybe he thinks in these terms too he's kind of at the bottom of his range mm. you know but it's also a card that he can represent and it does create some full houses and now that you check raise the flop and check call the turn and check again on the river it doesn't feel like you have a straight at all right right yeah and if we had check raise the turn i mean he would have folded so we, yeah. You know, we end up getting max value. But I, I do think when I was watching this hand back earlier today, like this is an important lesson, not from a strategy standpoint, but from like a study and review standpoint. You know, it's really it'd be really easy to just kind of like skip by this hand and go, oh, man, we played that so good. We got max value. We got him to stack off with just a 10 or whatever. But it doesn't mean we played every street right. So. You know, if there's if there's one lesson that I think could come from this, it's it's spend some time looking at hands and let other people look at them as well, because they might point out something that even though it worked out great for you, was not really the best way to play it. Yeah, I mean, I basically disagree pretty strongly with your play on two out of four streets, and 
<laughs> doubled <Yeah>. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that's so what's fun about poker is that you can absolutely butcher a hand and still double up sometimes. So yep. uh, that's and always you, and, a good and you can you can play it perfect and lose, as we all know. Yeah, many many times we do that too. Yeah. Well, do you remember if you uh, went on to cash in this thing? Because it seems like that hand gave you a pretty good stack. Yeah, I believe I actually ended up making the final two tables of this tournament. Cool. Um, but then things went awry as they often do. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, not not didn't end up being a great score for us, but. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun tournament nonetheless. Yeah, and you know what? The thing is, those little caches mean a lot too. Like, maybe not necessarily for your real bankroll, but if we we're looking at your bankroll as being this precious final thousand dollars, and that if you lose this money, you'll never play poker again, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's kind of the idea of a bankroll challenge: is that you're supposed to treat that money like it's your case money, right? So, you know, even if you cashed for like twenty bucks, it's better than losing six. And if you can do that on a consistent or relatively consistent basis, then you can at least kind of keep your bankroll in like the, I guess, a break even until you have your big score. Mm-hmm. You know? And those yeah. little caches do add up over time. And that's important for me to say because it's also important for me to remember because as everyone who's listened to this podcast more than once knows, I tend to ignore ICM and I don't care about min caching and I'm a bubble abuser. Like we all know this about me, right? Yeah. So, but now that I've looked back at some of my uh, charts, you know, I keep very, very detailed records of all my poker. And I see how in the years where I, whether I had a big score in a given year or not, uh, the little, the difference that all the little caches that I had made uh, is substantial. Because it's not only that you won, let's say you won $20, $25 in this $6 buy-in, right? It's also that you didn't lose 6 Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I've been playing a lot of small stuff too. Like I've been playing as low as $1.65. And I just kind of, you know, people are like, why are you playing that? Like, you know, you, you have a 1K bankroll. You don't have to play $1 tournaments. But I look at them as basically satellites and variance killers. You know, the competition's obviously much weaker. Sure. And, you know, if I cash for... 25 bucks, then I can go fire a $22 tournament, which I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing on the bankroll challenge. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I, my, I don't have pride when it comes to playing low. I'll do whatever it takes to win. So, yeah, well, I think try. <laughs> that's certainly the right approach. I mean, when I see a player that used to be a revered high stakes crusher and I see him like in a 2 5 game in Vegas or something, and you'll hear other players whispering, oh man, can you believe he's playing 2 5 now? I say good for him because yeah. he's he's humbled himself and gone back to build his bankroll again. And also, you don't know. Maybe he spent most of his net worth on a house, and now he's grinding back from zero. You know, we don't know yeah. what why somebody's there. Maybe he's got a bankroll challenge of his own. You know, you don't know why somebody's playing small. And we shouldn't be playing poker for our ego and for the respect of other people. We play for money. So exactly right. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So. Very good, man. Thanks for uh, sharing the hand, and thanks, as always, for being so transparent about how poorly you played it. And (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for being so honest to tell me that I played it poorly. (laughs) And hopefully, uh, maybe next month I'll wave at you as I drive by when I go to New Jersey. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I hope to see you out there, man. So uh, definitely check out, Derek, did you say you're you're playing every day? Are you twitching 
more often now? What's happening? Yeah, I'm streaming every day this month um, at various times. Sometimes it's during the day, sometimes it's late at night. But every day this month, I'm, I'm wow. streaming some form of poker. Even if it's uh, although, a short although today one. I, today I did slot machines, which was kind of fun, actually. <laughs> um, but most days it's poker. Uh, so yeah, twitch.tv slash killingbird. Come on over and hang out. Very cool. So follow him on twitch.tv slash killingbird. So for Derek Tenbush and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love nobody. Everybody, everybody knows she can't.